Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. We bring you leaders acting on their environmental values because too many people told me, I want to act, but if others don't, then what I do won't matter. We're here to make it obvious that you're not alone. You're part of a global community, a majority. Also, too many people told me, doing small things doesn't make enough of a difference and big things take too much work. Action matters more than the size you start with. You'll hear how action motivates guests from small things to doing big things. You won't find guilt, blame, doom, gloom, or telling people what to do. You will find leading without relying on authority, which brings what I found missing from acting on environmental values. Joy, discovery, growth, community, meaning, purpose, value, sharing. With global demand for environmental action, I bet you'll see that acting on your values doesn't distract from your life and career. Following these leaders' footsteps and beyond enjoying the environment, I bet you'll see promotions, raises, more loyalty and trust in your relationships, and more. Being a steward is really important to me because I feel like the things that we have and the things that we use are gifts for us to use. If we treat those gifts poorly, then we shouldn't get more gifts. And if we treat those things well, we should feel comfortable if we do get more gifts because we know that we'll be able to use those well in the future. For me, again, that's a spiritual belief that is very core to who I am as a person and informs a lot of things. Jethro Jones contacted me to make a challenge that he wanted to do public. And that part of this challenge and conversation gets very personal. We started talking about education, he's a principal. The past few years have transformed my understanding of education and how critical it is for culture, society, and democracy. It's not just something that happens in schools. For this podcast, we'll also talk about how it affects leadership. Principals like him influence culture more than most people think. He has authority as a principal in his school, but listen to how he leads. He doesn't use his authority. He works with his values and the students' values and the teachers' values. If you're compliant, we talk a bunch about compliance. If you're compliant, our educational system probably dumped it on you for 12 to 16 years of your most formative years. I know you'll find the part of the conversation where Jethro talks about his personal challenge engaging and exciting. I believe you'll find the conversation about education equally engaging, especially if you're into leadership. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Jethro Jones. Jethro, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. And because it's unusual, we're, we're talking to you from where? Alaska, uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. I'm way up north. Yeah, that's really, I, I want to get back to that in a little bit because it's so far away from the lower 48. Yeah. But, um, and I think it's, personally, I think it's interesting. And I want to start with the leadership part of leadership in the environment because there's, in my life, a long time ago, I say this as currently as a teacher, I'm a professor, uh, I have online courses, and I thought of teaching and being a principal as being kind of not really that influential, like teachers influence their classroom, and certainly I remember teachers that have had an effect on me, and principals influence their school, but I didn't really think of them as influencing the world outside of that. And now I, I think totally differently. You're part of the reason for that. You have a, you have a podcast called uh, Transformative Principal that has... Mm-hmm broad listenership. You, well, let me not, maybe you could say a little bit about yourself and also why was I wrong? I mean, I have my ideas, but I think you know better than I do. (laughs) That's, that's funny. I'm not sure I do know better than you, but um, so I host a podcast called transformative principle, like you said, and it is all about um, really, I think the succinct way to say it now is helping principals create schools that adapt to kids Rather, rather than forcing kids to adapt to 
schools, which is how we've done it for, you know, a hundred years. And so it, uh, I'm really working hard to change public education from the inside. And a lot of people, um, you know, think that it's impossible, think that you can't change this big, huge monstrosity. I'm a day-to-day, I'm a public school principal at a middle school here. And so what I do is I just try to help other principals figure out how to do um, amazing things with their students and make a school that is better for their students um, every single day. So, I mean, that's really the simple part of it. And what you said about um, about uh, school principals shaping the future, I mean, it's, it's the truth. Um, I jo- was just listening to a podcast by uh, Dan Carlin, Hardcore History, where he was talking about how um, education played such an important role in preparing the Japanese to be a superpower when they're just this little tiny island in Japan. And uh, boy, that was like the world's worst summary of what Dan Carlin does. <laughs> Dan Carlin is amazing. But, yeah, so we all have to listen to that is. podcast. <laughs> um, but he talks about uh, education being um, propaganda for the state, which it really is. I mean, that's what we do. We are propagandizing all these kids and that has a negative connotation right now but that's exactly what we're doing we're trying to teach these kids how to be adults and the kind of values we want to instill in them and so rather than running away from that as educators we need to really think hard about what we are trying to propagandize them with and what we're trying to lead them to because we do have an incredible amount of influence and i think that our current situation is a result of our educational policies over the last several, several years that, you know, we, we didn't get the situation that we have now because it just happened. We got it because we taught people to behave in a certain way. And now we are where we're at. And I think there's some real uh, truth to that. And it's a big, huge thing to shift. And it's really, really difficult. You said a lot of things, and I want to I go in two directions. One of them, for, first, there's inside your school, and then there's what you're doing with other schools. So inside your school, right. you said that we have been for about a century, maybe more, conforming students to schools rather, rather than schools to students. And I think, I grew up thinking this is the way it is. You sit in rows, you take tests, you do what you're told, and that was normal. But now it doesn't seem so normal. How, what's it like? Is that what you're talking about, making students conform to the school? And what's it like if the what's it like the opposite? If, if I got it right, yeah. So like in the in the 50s or in the 40s or before that, what would happen is if a student wasn't successful in school, they would just leave. Well, what happened in around 2000 when No Child Left Behind came out, we realized that we need to. I mean, it happened before that, but a big shift happened when No Child Left Behind came. We realized that we needed to look at different kinds of kids and compare uh, students who were struggling versus students who weren't and look at um, ethnic breakdowns so that we could see like, oh, look, we're suspending all of our African-American students and all of our African-American students are failing. There's this huge achievement gap. Whereas before, we just looked at the whole school overall, and if you had a few minorities that weren't doing well, no big deal. You just keep on going. No Child Left Behind did something great in forcing us to look at minority populations and see that we were 
putting them at a disadvantage. Now um, we're beyond that. And what we're trying to do is, especially in my school, we are trying to make sure that every single student has a personalized education, which is an incredible feat and very challenging and very difficult, but making sure that we are meeting the needs of each and every student in our school. And that just hasn't been the case for a very, very long time. You know, you've, you've probably heard the teacher say, it's my job to teach and the student's job to learn. That is a common theme. I don't agree with that. I think that it is the teacher's job to teach every single student and it's on them to ensure that those students are learning. And when a student's not, the teacher should go find out why and work with that kid to help them learn. What's it like then for the teachers in your, as, as a principal, you're a leader in the school, they're leaders in the classrooms. I don't know if that's the right, if, right. if that's a fair look yep. at it. Are they angry at you? Are they welcoming you? How, how do they feel about this? <laughs> you're giving this all, all this responsibility. Yeah, uh, there's a little bit of both. Um, I really believe in empowering teachers. And so I go from um, from saying, here's what our goal is. We make sure that we meet the needs of every single student. It's not my job to tell you how to do that. It's my job to give you the tools and resources to do that. And so, you know, we do a lot with, with scheduling. We do a lot with flexibility and making sure that teachers have the time. I don't put a lot of unnecessary things on their plates, um, all that kind of stuff it's it's important so uh, traditional teachers um, don't like me because I'm asking them to not just teach I'm asking them to ensure their students are learning um, and they struggle with that and that's difficult it's not because they're bad it's just because they've been teaching for 20 years and some now some young punk is coming in telling them you need to teach differently and they don't know how to do that that's scary I'm messing with their with their identity of who they are I use compliance based is I feel like schools, yeah. they teach a lot of facts, but what really matters is how it changes your life, which means how you behave and sit in rows, come in at a certain time. Here's what's important. Here's what's not important. No question your values, just accept ours. You started smiling. So I was saying that. Yeah. So, so we, it, it is very much about compliance. So we are propagandizing students, right? So, that's what that's what our job is. So we don't need to act like that's, oh, no, you can't say that. That's what our job is, is to teach students how to act and what's important. What we've been doing for years is teaching that what's important is compliance and doing what the teacher says. So how are we going to raise people who are willing to take the kind of action that you're talking about if their job is to be compliant? That's what we've taught them to do. So what are we going to propagandize them to do? We should be propagandizing them to make their own choices, to be independent. Those are the, the values that we really hold dear in this country. That's where we should be pushing them. We should be teaching them to care deeply about things that matter and not care about things that don't matter. And so that compliance issue, that is huge. And, you know, one of the things that, Right. And we start teaching students to do something that we don't actually practice ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's, that's a like good we summary. Say we're preparing them for the real world, but we're not. And we're no. as if the real world is somehow separate. They're not in part of the real world. I, exactly. I really, for those listening to this podcast who are here for the leadership part of the leadership and the environment and think, well, principals teaching, that's really education. It's not what I want to do, which is lead and get ahead. It's the same thing. It's the core of 
I mean, certainly unit four of my book is how to behave in ways, how to, when you get what people care about and connect that to a task, you imbue that task with meaning and then they do it for themselves, exactly what you said. And teachers and principals, I feel like you guys are moving in that direction or mainly, I mean, there's a big part of your community has moved in that direction as opposed to telling people mm -hmm. what they should do. And I think in the working world, in the professional world, I think some have gotten it, some haven't gotten it, but it's, it's what does the other person care about? How can you make them feel comfortable sharing these things? Because it often makes them feel vulnerable. Now you can be judged on something. You, you can be laughed at. You can be, you know, it's now it's what you care about. That makes you vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And as a teacher, as a principal, as a, as a leader, the challenge, what I teach is how to behave in ways that people feel comfortable sharing those things. Yeah. Also, now talking about projects, I want to transition over to the environment part of the leadership in the environment because you, you contacted me and you said, Josh, I want to do my challenge. And mm -hmm. um, something made it now, something, and, and you're in the middle of the summit, so you're busy. Glutton for punishment. Right. <laughs> yep. Uh, That's right. What about the environment do you care about or what, what connected things now? Why, what, why now? Well, uh, you know, Josh, some of your listeners may not like this approach, but um, I don't feel like I care very much about the environment. So I, if anybody asked me, I would not say that I'm an environmentalist um, or that I'm somebody who cares much about the environment. I believe that we need to be good stewards of the things that we have and the environment is one of those things. So we need to be, we need to make smart decisions. So, you know, already, like when I go camping, I practice leave no trace principles. I take my trash out, you know, I don't litter. I stay on the, on the paths that are already there and, and that kind of thing. But I feel like that's just me being a good steward. So I would never say that I'm a, an environmentalist or that I care deeply about the environment because I, I personally believe that, you know, the, at a, on a spiritual level that the earth was created for us and has everything that we would need to, and plenty of resources for us as human beings to survive. And so, you know, that, that's the thing that's so interesting is, is I don't really see myself as somebody who cares very much about the environment. Well, from independent of what any individual listener wants or identifies with, my goal in this podcast is not to bring Disney to the world and say like, oh, all I have to do is this and whistle while you work and everything works out, but to bring right. a representative sample and, and not to make these things easy and say like, you know, some people say, Josh, I, didn't, I wasn't able to do the thing. Uh, can we not do the second one? And I'm like, that's what's valuable. I want people to right. hear in others what they feel. And if I, I don't want to bring all the same people. Uh, I'm really curious about, so to be a steward is, I feel like that presupposes something that, why that? I mean, is that, uh, th that feels like something that's important to you. Are you enjoying meeting this guest? Are you thinking about what you care about? I recommend making it active. Think about what you could do, not just analyze and plan, not do what others tell you to, but to live by your values. You'll enjoy your results. People will follow you more than you think, and you'll impact more than you expect. Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast for examples of what others have done. Yeah. Um, being a steward is really important to me because I feel like the things that we have and the things that we use are gifts for us to use. And if we treat those gifts poorly, then we shouldn't get more gifts. And if we treat those things well, then 
we we should feel comfortable if we do get more gifts because we know that we'll be able to use those well in the future. And so, you know, for me, again, that's a spiritual belief that is um, very core to who I am as a person and informs a lot of things. So, you know, I get a gift of having students come to my school. I need to treat those students well. I need to give them an amazing school experience and I need to value who they are as people as I send them on to the next place and I get a new group of kids. And if I don't do that, I don't have any business being at that school working with those kids if I'm not honor, honoring and respecting the gift that I have. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, I can't help but contrast it. Uh, you mentioned church earlier and mentioned spiritual a couple times. And there's a passage translated different ways in different, among different translations that says, you have dominion, man has dominion over the earth and all that's on it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people see dominion as meaning Lord, uh, a domination sort of perspective. And right. I, what you're saying sounds a different way of interpreting it, but in contrast to it, I'm not sure if it's related or not. Is it, is it something related or is it, am I just connecting things that aren't related? No, that, that's definitely related. And that, to me, that dominion over the earth doesn't mean that we, you know, are these evil overlords that that destroy the earth and you know rape the environment for our own benefit it means that like i said that we've been given this gift of the earth and we should we should treat it with respect but it also has resources that are created for us and so you know there are different uh groups of people who say you shouldn't eat meat and there are people who say well you shouldn't eat plants and so both of those things were created, in my opinion, for us to be able to use to sustain our life. We have to live. We're, we're here to live. We're not here to, to die quickly. And so, so we need to use the, the meat from animals that is provided. We need to use the plants that is provided. Because of technology, I believe that we also need to use the, um, the fossil fuels and um, and renewable energy that is available to us. And we need to do that in a way that is, that is appropriate and shows stewardship rather than shows, you know, dominating and, you know, destroying everything so that we can have this for 20 minutes and then leaving a horrible mess in our wake. That's, that's not what I believe we should be doing. It sounds like an interesting mix. Not to use a gift would be disrespectful. To right. misuse it would be disrespectful. To use it, to honor it as the gift that it is, and I, am I reading right that that's honoring ourselves? That's honoring the way, this, that's stewardship, I guess. That's right. And to me, more importantly, it's honoring God who gave us those gifts. And so how do you, so if you're going to change your behavior, were you, is, there, is there a piece of stewardship that you're missing that now you want to switch? Or why did, what's the change going to be? And yeah. You can so what, you're, what you want to do. Yeah. So my, my challenge is that I want to ride my bike to work every day as this year um, in Fairbanks, Alaska, which means that I'm going to be riding my bike to work when it is negative 30 and negative 40 degrees outside, which yeah, is really cool. Negative 40 because negative 40 <laughs> is the same in Celsius and Fahrenheit. That's right. <laughs> yep. That's right. So, um, so it's going to be really cold and, um, and I want to do that for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, uh, I, I want to be more healthy 
being a good steward of my body includes um, taking care of it, exercising, things like that. I haven't been doing a very good job of that. And I recently was doing a 66 day challenge to exercise every single day for those 66 days. I only missed one day so far of that. And I feel significantly better. And so I wanted to do something that would encourage me to continue exercising. Last year, I walked to work many days, including my my coldest day was negative 32. That was really cold. But um, I, I, I love how, I'm sorry to interrupt. I love how the guy from Alaska is like negative 32. That was really cold, but I'm like that's an understatement. Okay, so yeah, that was really cold. So that was really cold, and I I did that, but you know I wasn't really. Uh, still wasn't exercising all all the time last year. So this way I'll be able to exercise. Once I bought a bike this summer, I realized how much I love riding a bike. And so being able to do more of the things that I love um, is also being a good steward to myself. And so I want to uh, force myself to have a reason to ride a bike every single day, regardless of what the weather outside is or anything. And, you know, there's, there, there's going to be some challenges with that. Like when I have to take stuff to work, how am I going to get it all there? <laughs> that's, that's going to be challenging. Um, when it's cold, that's going to be challenging today. It's hot. And yesterday it was hot and I had to ride to a different place where I don't usually work, which is farther away. And so I got there and I was all hot and sweaty. And then I was hot and sweaty all day because I never cooled down because the building was hot. And so I just felt like I was uncomfortable all day long. Um, but again, like I felt really good riding my bike there and riding my bike back and help me decompress and get rid of the stress. And, you know, there's just a lot of benefits that I feel like I need right now in my life that come with riding a bike every day. You're distinguishing between pleasure, comfort, convenience, and a deeper, what I would call emotional reward, uh, or something meaningful. Did you, mm -hmm. did, you did you introduce me to Danny Bauer, or did Danny Bauer introduce me to you? I think he introduced you to me. Okay, do you know about his challenge? No, I don't. Oh yeah. He, did he so, do one, I missed it? Yeah, he was uh, moving from Texas to Antwerp, and he and his, I think then fiance, just about to be wife or just married, they, yep. they'd gone from two cars to one in Texas. And then they were going to, they decided to use this to, uh, they were deciding between one car or zero cars in Antwerp. And they went with zero cars as that's what the, it was for here. And when I talked about, when I talked about it, he was like, biking is, you see things. And he's like riding by some old castle and he, he can just stop in and go there because he can just ride the bike in. And right. He was just talking about all the stuff that he discovered that he never would have discovered before. He wouldn't even known he was missing. And I'm thinking it's like the slow food movement. Like, you, yeah, you can eat fast food, but slow food is, oh, man. I got to now connect it to education for a second because I was, what was I reading about? Like, the, what the French serve their kids in school is we, what we would call gourmet meals. Right. And at first, you think, why are they going nuts with that? And what, what more do we want our resources for than to make our kids healthy? I mean, even more before teaching them is feeding them. I think, I think that it feels even more primal or earlier. In any case, uh, yeah, I'm really curious for you of, I presume you have warm clothes for negative 40 and I guess you're going to be prepared because now you're going to be riding a bike with the wind blowing you off and stuff like that. That's right. Thankfully, there's not a ton of wind in Fairbanks, so that won't happen too often. And my school is super close, so 
it's only five minutes and I think you get frostbite after uh, three or four minutes when it's <laughs> negative 40. So I, I should be good. I've gotten frostbite before on my cheeks right here. So uh, I've been there and I survived and um, yeah, so I think I'm, I'm ready to do it. And okay. So it's already a smart goal. It's when you say year, you mean from the school year until the kids finish? Well, my contract is a little bit longer than the kids. So I started yesterday. I'm sorry. I started Monday and I've ridden my bike both days so far. And so now it's, you know, it's just riding my bike every day that I work until, um, till my contract is over at the end of May next at the end of the year. All right. I want to give you a couple things that I've, I've learned. So I feel like this is the leadership part is getting someone started. You came to me with something. Uh, a lot of people, they kind of have to work through what their challenge is going to be. And then I move over to the management part, which is ensure that it's a smart goal. And this sounds like a smart goal. Mm-hmm. And then the two biggest challenges, challenges that I find I'm going to tell you about, they might be relevant or they might not. So one of them is other people is that one day someone's going to say, all right, I'll drive with you to work or something like that. And you're, they're going to offer you a ride or, uh, or the bike is going to be da- broken or I don't know, something's going to happen. And it's like, what do I do? Do I, and you don't necessarily have to have the answers, but this come up. It's like, do I give up? Do I say I was good enough till now? And, or do I say, all right, I, I let this one slide or, you know, there's lots of different things. Usually with people like eating meat, they'll, they, they'll decide to not eat meat for a while for their reasons. And then, you know, they go home for Thanksgiving and mom's like, here's a steak. And they're like, well, what do I do? And I don't profess to give the answers. I just prepare the person, you, that some, you know, the bike's going to break or you're going to have a broken ankle or something like that. The other big thing is travel is, I guess it's for you, it's going to be when you're home, but I'm mentioning to you, I'm not sure if it'll show up at all, but when people travel, they're in less control of their world and they mm-hmm. find themselves unable to do things that are easier to do when they're at home. So things come up. I'm, I mentioned it to help prepare you, but also I'm curious to hear how you handle the things afterward. Yeah. So those are things that I've thought of that um, I, I've decided that I, I will take a ride from someone else who's going to the same place if, um, if that's the case. But that is a, that's not something I'm going to seek out. Last year, I asked people for rides or I asked my wife to take me because I didn't have, we only have one car in our family. So last year I did that a lot. This year, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to figure out how to get things done. So for example, I had, uh, I, I wanted to get flowers for my secretaries as they came back to work on Monday. And so what I did is I did drive to the store, bought the flowers, dropped them off at the school, and then, and then came home and then rode my bike to work. And in that situation, that was more of a, I don't want to ruin the flowers that I'm getting or not be able to get them because of some limitation that I'm putting on myself. I want my secretaries to know that I value them and respect them and I'm happy that they're there. This was the way that I chose to do it. I could have done it other ways, sure. But in this situation, I felt totally fine about about doing that and didn't feel like I was... I was letting down on my goal. And that's the other thing is just having an awareness that sometimes there'll be things that are either out of my control or that I can't do and just being okay with that and moving on and committing to riding my bike to work every day is way more in the right direction than getting bent out of shape because I 
couldn't do it one day for whatever reason. So to me, I'm just, my thought is I ride my bike to work every day and that's all there is to it. And I'm okay with that. So things are going to come up. I'm not going to be able to do it some days. Most days I'll walk if my bike's in the shop or something, but you know, that's, I'm not going to get bent out of shape when I can't be successful every single day. I look forward to hearing how it goes. Yeah. It's, I don't know why I'm thinking like the bike's going to break. You might go, I mean, the bikes are pretty well made these days. <laughs> uh, you know, having that accountability partner is, is huge in everything that we do. Well, I'm glad to be of service in that way. And I'm here to support you. And that's leadership talking. Leaders want accountability. Leaders want responsibility. Okay, so I'd like to close with a couple questions. One is, is there anything I didn't bring up or that didn't come up that's worth bringing up? And the other is, any messages directly for the listeners? Um, so I think we talked about just about everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's good. Um, I do, um, I, the thing that I do want to bring up is that I, I do have another big goal, which is to positively impact the lives of 100 million students by 2027 mm-hmm. through the, the leadership that I'm doing in my school in online and things like that. So if anything that I said will have an impact on any kids to those of you who are listening, then please go to transformativeprincipal.org slash impact and just tell me how many kids will be impacted. So if you're listening to this and you're a parent and you're thinking something about education different than you did before, then, and you have kids, uh, you can put three kids or four kids or one kid in there. The reason I'm doing that is that we all do things that are little and they have a big impact that we don't really see. And right now I'm at 44,000 children that have been positively impacted by what I'm doing. And I've been doing this for almost a year. That's a, I'm not going to meet my goal if I stick with that, (laughs) but I, I want to be able to change the world in a very real way. And as I, as I talk about things and as I help people see things differently, I hope that I make an impact and every, every little bit counts. Um, and, and so if you'll do that transformative principle.org slash impact, I would greatly appreciate it. Does hearing leaders acting on their values make you think of yours? Nothing will make you feel better than acting on them. Value means better. Acting on your values means improving your life. Committing publicly helps many people and builds community too. If you want, click on Commit to a Personal Challenge to share what you do with this community. You'll be a leader among leaders. We're more than a podcast. We're a movement to share how acting on environmental values means fun, joy, growth, and so on, not sacrifice or deprivation. If you want to join or help, contact me at josh at or at joshuaspodak.com slash podcast. You'll grow as a leader, you'll enjoy yourself, and the world and your communities will thank you for it.